Okay, turn over the pages to Ephesians chapter 5. This evening we're going to be considering redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. And we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 through to verse 20. We'll be reading that portion as we go along, instead of reading it all at the beginning. In this epistle to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul had much to say by way of instruction and exhortation on the subject of Christian living. For example, referring to Christian living as a walk, which he's done quite often in this epistle, Uh, In chapter 2, verse 10, he said to the Ephesians, and he included himself, he said, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. In chapter 4, verse 17, he said, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not, as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. And in chapter 5 and verse 2, Paul said, And walk in love, as Christ also have loved us, and have given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. In chapter 5, verse 8, he said, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. Continuing with Paul's exhortations concerning the Christian walk, our passage this evening, as I say, is chapter 5, verse 11 through to 20. In previous verses, Paul had spoken to the Ephesians about showing their walk by the fruit that they bring forth. So, our Christian conduct, it's visible. It, It can be seen in the fruit that is brought forth. As we grow in our faith, grow as Christians, it's reasonable to um to think that you might bring forth fruit, more and more fruit, thereby showing that you are indeed a child of light, that you are no longer in spiritual darkness and spiritual darkness is no longer in you. Instead of being in spiritual darkness, you're in the light as a Christian. And the light, the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, he abides in you by faith, or dwells in you by faith. That darkness has been replaced by light. And as I keep saying each week, Christians are the people who can legitimately claim to have seen the light, to have been enlightened. They have a testimony that the God who made the light shine in the darkness on the first day of creation has made his light shine in your heart. The light 
of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that applies to you if you have been quickened, raised up and saved by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can legitimately claim to have seen the light. I keep listening to people and only yesterday in fact listening to someone on YouTube, someone who talks about being spiritual and so on, and I just think to myself, you don't know Jesus. How is someone spiritual if they don't know Jesus? Surely a spiritual person is someone who has been quickened, raised up to newness of life in Christ, and who is indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit. In verse 11 through to 13, in chapter 5, Paul says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. The unfruitful works of darkness are the sins of all who are in darkness and who walk according to the course of this world. Their sins, the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead of doing God's will, they fulfil the desires of the flesh, the desires of the mind. I'm sure that we can all relate to that before we became Christians, and perhaps all too often, even as Christians. Not thy will be done, but my will. There's still much of that in each one of us, even though we know Jesus. Even though we pray, perhaps, that we might do the will of God, our Heavenly Father. Still, we know those times when we have chosen to do our will instead of God's will. However, with the enabling power and grace of God who have quickened us and saved us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we, the children of light, seek to be imitators of God and we seek to do his will. We earnestly seek to do the will of God The professing Christian who partakes in the unfruitful works of darkness and delights in those works is in fellowship with those who do likewise. When I'm talking about when it becomes a habitual thing. No one in here is claiming to be perfect. But when it's a habitual thing, doing the unfruitful works of darkness, what is the natural conclusion there to be drawn? That you are in fellowship with such people. Those who do likewise, instead of your fellowship being with God, you cannot be said to be an imitator of God if you are in fellowship with the children of darkness. Your conduct is anything but consistent with a sanctified soul who walks as a child of light 
and is led by the Lord Jesus Christ along the paths of righteousness if you are in darkness. Not only are you not to have fellowship, dear Christian, with those who walk in darkness and bring forth the fruit of darkness, you are to reprove such people. To reprove is to rebuke, to induce a sense of guilt, shame and repentance by shedding light on their conduct and exposing it for what it is, the works of darkness. In John chapter 16, the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking about God, the Holy Spirit, and in verse 8 he said, And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit reproves the world of sin by shedding light upon and laying bare the sins and the true character of sinners as well as revealing something of the holiness and the righteousness of Almighty God. The scriptures are profitable for reproof. Therefore, when you reprove or rebuke the workers of iniquity from the word of God, you also shed light upon their works of darkness. I say you do this, but as a Christian, when you open up the scriptures and you reprove, rebuke someone no less from the scriptures, you do so, you do so prayerfully, looking to the Holy Spirit to reach into that person's heart and mind to bring them to repentance. And if it pleases God to work repentance in them, then that has to be better for them than if you just just keep quiet and let them get on with their transgressions. That which is what we're all tempted to do, perhaps. Just say nothing. For fear of being judgmental, poking your nose in where it's not wanted, whatever. It's not always the kindest thing to do, saying nothing. When I was a London City missionary, a colleague and I were in conversation with a local council politician who professed to be a Christian. Even so, she endorsed various sexual sins, this professing Christian. She explained to us that we must move with the times. We were sitting in her living room and she said these things to us. My colleague was quick to tell her that we are to examine everything under the light of the scriptures and we spent quite a bit of time reproving and correcting that councillor, that local council politician, rebuking her from the scriptures and correcting her. Here on our wonderful little island home, when the relaxation of the abortion laws were being debated by the politicians about four years ago, the chief minister, who was a professing Christian, and as far as I know, he still is, or he's not the, he's not the chief minister anymore, as far as I know, he's still a professing Christian, he told me that I was from the Dark Ages. I guess he thought that my views were somewhat dated and old-fashioned. He too received a biblical reproof from me. Although at the time there was no noticeable repentance and he went on to vote in favour of the death bill. 
It seems to me that verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That is a challenge to Christians to reprove unbelievers, to call on them to repent through the proclamation of God's law, as well as telling them the good news of salvation from sin through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking from personal experience, even as a Christian, I've had occasion to thank God for those times when dear brothers and sisters in Christ have reproved me from the scriptures. Those timely interventions have demonstrated to me the goodness and the mercy of God. Why why would that be? When someone, lovingly I hope, reproves me from the scriptures, even now as a pastor, I get things wrong and, and people sometimes open up the scriptures, look what you've been doing or saying, this is what the scriptures say, bit of reproof, correction from the scriptures, why do I thank God? Although it's um, possibly not easy at the time, a bitter pill to swallow, one might say. But it's, it, it reminds me that God is being gracious to me. Instead of just leaving me to get on with things and to make a mess of everything, me or you as his child, he reproves as any good father would do. He does so through the scriptures. And take it that way. Take it as a good thing from God. Those timely interventions have reminded me that the God who loves me, who loves me with an everlasting love, has not only saved me from my sins, and it's not just about saving me from my sin, it's about keeping me each and every day, stopping me from going off at a tangent, going off on a path that is not a righteous path. And that same grace will take me home, and it will take you home. But that grace, as it, as God's grace is with you each and every day, it may involve those times when you too are rebuked from the Scriptures. In his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, the Lord Jesus Christ said in verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Christians are sanctified. They reach higher levels of holiness in their born-again lives as they read the word of God, whilst at the same time they ought to become less worldly and the more biblical, and more biblical rather, as the truth penetrates and renews their minds. All the while reproving them, correcting them. It's an ongoing work of God the Holy Spirit when we read the scriptures. As for the children of disobedience who walk in darkness, the word of God, which is light, brings their sin into view and their need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we all need the word of God. We all need to be reproved, rebuked, corrected from the scriptures, whether we're Christians or not. Obviously, people who they, who are not Christians, you proclaim the word of God to them, God's law, 
and and uh, give them some understanding of how that they have fallen short of the glory of God. And again, through the word of God, speak to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's have a look at verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. It's not clear who he is in that verse. Wherefore he saith, who is he? Or where Paul was quoting from in this verse. Although it closely resembles Isaiah chapter 60 in verse 1, where it is written, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. At first glance it appears that Paul imagined that the spiritual, spiritually dead are somehow able to raise themselves to newness of life in Jesus. Let's see. Wherefore he saith, Arise, uh, rather, awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. Is there an expectation that someone who is spiritually dead will raise, them up, raise themselves up from the dead there at that point? He most certainly, Paul most certainly did not imagine that to be the case. That's made perfectly clear back in chapter 2, verse 5, where he taught that being quickened or raised up is a work of God. Also, it stands to reason that the dead are not able to raise themselves up from the dead. What Paul was saying in verse 14 is no different to when I say to someone, repent and believe the gospel. I say that and I mean it. I say it every week. But I say that knowing full well that a person will only ever repent, will only ever believe the gospel if God grants that person repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The repentance is a grace of God and so is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A grace of God. Doesn't stop me from calling on someone to repent. Doesn't stop me from calling on someone to believe the gospel. Therefore, verse 14 can be seen as a promise that the Lord Jesus Christ will be light to all who, having been dead in their trespasses and sins, have, by the grace of God, risen from spiritual death. By his grace, by his power. We'll have a look at verse 15 and 16. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. The fools that are spoken of there in verse 15, those who are dead in trespasses and sins, they're in darkness. As for the wise, they are the enlightened, they are the children of light. So you've got the fools, you've got the wise. The fools are those who are dead, spiritually dead. The wise, they've seen the light, the Lord Jesus Christ. If the latter is you, if you are a child of light and Jesus is your wisdom, then you are to be circumspect, we're told here by Paul. You are to be careful to walk accordingly as you redeem the time. Walk as a child of light as you redeem the time. 
In the context of the passage, redeeming the time includes being light in this dark world of sin. It means walking in good works that God has prepared for you, even before he saved you from your sins. It means reproving sin, proclaiming Christ, having fellowship with the saints rather than with the workers of iniquity. Well, have a look at verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. If you really are a child of light, following the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, who leads you on that path of righteousness, and if you really do examine everything under the light of God's word, whether it be good, whether it be evil, then you know from the scriptures what the will of God is. You should know God's will because you're someone who reads the scriptures and that sheds light on God's will. What that does not mean is that you continue to covet the things of this world. You know very well the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet. Paul warns about covetousness. We talked about that last week. He mentions it in the very same verse as fornication. That's how serious it is to covet the things of this world. Neither do you engage in sexual activities outside of a marriage relationship. There seems to be quite a few professing Christians who disregard God's will as it has been declared in the Bible and they simply justify their sinful actions by explaining that God spoke to them. How many times have you heard that one? God spoke to me, perhaps in a dream or through various circumstances. And presumably he gives those people the all clear to commit fornication or to feed their covetousness. Or they might enter into a relationship with an un, with unregenerate people and explain that they are lean, leading them to Christ. They conveniently ignore Paul's injunction in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, where he said, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion have light with darkness? There, it's Paul again speaking about light and darkness. What fellowship has a child of light got with a child of darkness? None at all, none at all. As a child of light, discern God's will as you read the word of God and pray that you will carry out God's will in the life that you now live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God by, uh, who loved you, who gave himself for you. Verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit or with the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's spirit with small s, sometimes big s. Uh, I've got big s there and I believe that to be the correct one, the Holy Spirit. Be filled with God, the Holy Spirit. Although the use of wine is not prohibited, Paul warns against the abuse of it. Not the use, but the abuse. 
Clearly there was a problem with drunkenness back then. Hence, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul said, The aged women likewise, that they be in behaviour as becometh holiness, not given to much wine, which refers to getting drunk or becoming insensible. It wasn't just some of the elderly Christian ladies who were wont to get drunk. For example, in the qualifications for church elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 3, Paul said, not given to wine. And five verses on, precisely the same thing was said about the candidates for the diaconate, for deacons, not given to wine. Not drunkards, in other words. And there's no reason to imagine that excessive drinking of alcohol and drunkenness are not still a problem in the church. As for you, dear Christian, you are to be wise, discerning and an imitator of God as a child of light. That's not going to happen if you are not in your right mind. You're not sober-minded and it's most certainly not going to happen if you're drunk. I should imagine that the prince of this sin-darkened world, the devil, would be very happy to see everyone in the, he- in the world blind drunk, but especially those in the church. You see whole communities blighted by alcohol and drugs and, the, and you see just how demonic this world is when you see people out of their heads on, on, on alcohol and various other substances. That is not for a child of light. Instead of being filled with wine and its influence, you are to be filled with the Holy Spirit who produces in you the fruit of joy, which in turn expresses itself in what can be seen in verses 19 and 20, where Paul said, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What could be better than than for the redeemed to come together to communicate as one another, uh, to one another rather, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as they sing their praises to their Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it says in verse 19, speaking to yourselves, not, to, not, not you speaking to you, but to everyone else. Paul is not talking about being at home speaking to yourself, locked away in your own home. Coming together like we are now, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I believe that to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, coming together as Christians is a time for mutual encouragement. Even so, the writer to the Hebrew believers had to encourage people to go to church with the following words. He said, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. 
at the risk of sounding legalistic, in all my 29 years of being a Christian, I have never understood why children of light would ever choose secular activities or secular pursuits or being with unregenerate family and friends over going to church and singing God's praises in the unity of the spirit and in the bond of peace. I don't understand it. And I know it's not because I'm super spiritual either, but I do not understand it. It's very noteworthy that those who are filled with the Spirit, that is, the Holy Spirit, make melody in their heart to the Lord, Jesus Christ. As such, amongst other things, the third person of the Holy Spirit, uh, Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit, he puts the focus not on himself, but on the second person of the Holy Trinity. He puts Jesus at the very centre of Christian spirit. Again, verse 18 and 19, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, which I believe to be is the Lord Jesus Christ. That really is something to bear in mind. A church service ought not to be man-centred or even Holy Spirit-centred. A church service ought to be Christ-centred. Last of all, in verse 20, the Spirit-filled Christian gives thanks for all things temporal, but most of all spiritual, in and through his Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Christian, you have much to thank God for, do you not? Where do you start? Where do you finish? Is there enough time? In not, not Forget about a day, in all eternity, to thank God for what you have. As James said in his epistle in chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Of his own will begat he us. James was talking about the new birth. He was talking about being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And he was talking about all the good gifts, all the perfect gifts that God freely gives his children, the children of light, whom he has quickened and saved and justified by his grace. We've been considering some of those good gifts and perfect gifts described as all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ in the early chapters of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. What is the greatest gift of all from God? It must surely be the gift of his only begotten Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What a wonderful gift he is. Jesus, the Son of God, giving him to be your Saviour and your Lord, the one who laid down his life at the cross, bearing away your sins. What better gift is there? There isn't. Nothing better. Therefore, repent, receive Jesus as your saviour from sin and worship him, for he is worthy to receive all glory, honour and power. Amen.